Hey, what's up, guys? This is Brendan with Evoke Bike. We've got an awesome interview with Frank Overton from Fast Cat Coaching. And in the beginning, I used to be a Fast Cat athlete, so we actually catch up a little bit. I learned some more about how Fast Cat came to fruition, how this whole thing started with Frank. Uh, I really enjoyed the history. If you're only here for the training tips, that begins around minute 17. But I think the history gives some more context to where Frank's coming from, where I'm coming from in coaching. And usually I annotate a lot of the YouTube video. But instead, when something pops up and you have like a question or a topic comes to your mind, I would prefer, why don't you just enter that in the comments below instead of me entering my comments on the YouTube video? I think this will make it much more engaging and it'll allow you to you know, think about what the topics that we're bringing up and how it applies to your own training and racing and events coming up. So that's the only change to these interviews. We've got a ton more coming your way and I hope you enjoy. Thanks again, Frank, for coming on. This was awesome. What's up, man? Hey, Brandon. How are you? Good. How you doing, Frank? I'm well, thanks. What you up to? Uh, just finished some dinner and getting ready to chat with you about cycling, training, all that good stuff. How are you doing? I'm good. It's. I think it's not quite dinner time here. Where are you? Central time or east? I'm actually. I'm in east now. I used to be in central. I'm in Florida right now, so oh, it's been okay. a little bit of adjustment. Yeah. So I had to do the nice. like. Even though there's four time zones in the U.S. when you were like mountain, I was like, okay, get this right. Central. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're, yeah. It's, it's still daylight here. So yeah, yeah it's getting dark, it, but it's weird being so in like so far down South, it's the sun sets almost like 40 minutes later than in Tennessee. So it's mm-hmm. like really just like a weird adjustment. Um, so yeah, that's good. It's good to be in That's cool weather. Yeah, it's been pretty cold in Tennessee and not really fun to train in. So, what um what part of Florida? Uh, Fort Lauderdale, so just north of Miami. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So it's it's one road. It's a one a. It's mm-hmm. uh, if you look on like a Strava map, it looks extremely boring, but for some reason it's not. And I think it's it it might be mental of just like palm trees and you're like wow it's January and I'm in shorts and a jersey, but yeah so many endurance athletes here too like you four hour ride you probably easily on a weekday pass 200 people i mean you're used to seeing stuff like that in boulder memphis Mm -hmm. (laughs) not so much (laughs) yeah yeah there's always people out riding doesn't matter the weather either it's just yeah year round (laughs) yeah how's the weather there right now is it full-on winter uh yeah i mean we had a nice 45 degree sunny day cool. perfectly fine for riding i mean we got some snow like last week but it's all melted now so yeah yeah cool fairly typical i mean yeah. it gets cold as nuts at night but you know from like 10 a.m to 3 p.m you can ride no problem yeah. that's cool that's awesome mm-hmm. it's uh well man you came to mind of i've been doing these interviews with different athletes different people in the cycling space and a lot of like just a lot of good tips from some of the rally guys. Um, and I forget what I was, what made me think of you, or maybe I was, I was actually talking to Jason and you're someone that's been in the game for so long that kind of, you know, I, I'm sure I've read some of your history and I remember a little bit of how you started fast cap, but just how much 
has changed and I wanted to get a grip of kind of like how you see things because mm-hmm. you've forgotten a lot of things before I was even getting into cycling. So I'm like, oh, Frank would be a really good dude to chat with about this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we kind of started this series of just, I was on the phone with Patrick and we were talking about some random topic, someone like talking about CTL and something. I was like, man, you know, I was explaining to this guy, it's, you know, CTL is not your race readiness. And I was like, damn, you know what? We should record this. Like, I think there's just a lot of stuff that we just don't have time to post. Um, mm-hmm. So I think some of that kind of stuff comes out. And uh, yeah, so I appreciate you sitting down and chatting for a little while and, and just get some stuff out to the people. Yeah. Yeah. You bet, man. Um, I got your, I got your outline up here and Sweet. Um, well, yeah, let's, ready to, let's yeah. start with the easiest question. Who is Frank Overton? Uh, uh, Frank Overton is a uh, cyclist, coach, dad, father, um, husband, and uh, live in Boulder, Colorado. Are we recording live already? We're recording. Um, let's record. Okay. Yeah, let's do it. Um, I've, uh, um, I've been a cycling coach for close to 20 years now. And okay. um, my story is that uh, you know, I'm, I'm from the South, like where you are, you know, I okay. grew up in, uh, um, Chattanooga and went to college in Virginia and then, um, was going to be a doctor. And I worked at the, uh, Bowman Gray school of medicine in Winston-Salem. That's okay. where I discovered mountain biking. So I played tennis. And this in, is, when, um, when is this? This is what year are you talking? <laughs> I'm going to date myself, but That's this cool, is, though. Uh, That's 95. Good. That's- 95, 96. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. My third mountain bike race ever or third bike race ever was, uh, I went down to Atlanta and they were having an amateur bike race on the Conyers mountain bike Olympic race course. So it was the first year mountain bikes were in the Olympics okay. and yeah, race that course at like third ever race ever. So that, <laughs> that was, uh, that was awesome. then jump yeah. in, dive in. <laughs> yeah. I've raced all over the South, like never rode, but all, all mountain bike. I didn't get into the road racing until I moved out here in okay. Colorado. Yeah. I didn't know that. This is good. Already learning pearls from back in the day. Totally. I mean, I've raced, uh, do you, have you, you've ever heard of that mountain bike race called the Bum and Grand in Birmingham? I think I've heard of it, but when I hear, oh, it's mountain yeah. biking, it's just like, yeah. I do have a couple of mountain bikers though now that are athletes, so I'm yeah. getting more in tune with that and but no, so you you did that one down there in Birmingham. Uh, I mean, I've raced all in every oh, state in the South, like okay. Natchez, Trace. Yeah. Um, the in Helen, Georgia, near mm-hmm. near Chattanooga, they had a World Cup. Um, went and did that. Watched like the pros race and the amateurs got to race on the same course. That Very was in cool. '96. Yeah. There's yeah. some really good riding down road riding down there. Also, some ones and yeah the the gaps yeah so mm-hmm. you so mid 90s you're in the south and then when did you where did things go from there because you clearly didn't become a doctor that did not become a doctor well what happened was um so i played tennis in high school and college and um takes two people to play tennis and when i moved <laughs> to winston-salem out of college i didn't know anyone there and i was you know had a job and so I didn't know, have anyone to play tennis. And for, quite frankly, I was kind of burnt out on it. Yeah. Um, but I had this mountain bike and um, I didn't have anything to do after five o'clock, no homework, no tests. So I'd go ride that bike around the neighborhood for exercise. 
And then next thing you know, I rode it far enough to ride to a place where there was a single track, this okay. place called Hobby Park. For everyone, all your listeners that lives near Winston-Salem, Hobby Park is where it all started. Awesome. And yeah, so, you know, bought a mountain bike. My roommate, who was a doctor, a med student, he was like, you're never going to go to to medical school, are you? And I was like, oh, I'm going. And and yeah, and he just saw how much I was riding. Yeah, but, it was like there is homework. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, so I went to North Carolina State to get my master's. And um, and then I just, I, I started, uh, they had a collegiate mountain bike race team. They had a collegiate right. team. That's where right. I did my first road race. Okay. Uh, with uh, NC State. And by the time I got done with my master's, I was pretty done studying because I was a bookworm. I got, you know, like 4.0 GPA because that's what you have to get to get into medical school. Yeah. And and I was riding the mountain bike. I was like, this, you know, this is not where I want to go. So um, this is also when the internet was brand new. And <laughs> this is awesome, yeah. dude. So uh, I, I saw a commercial for Amgen on the TV. Okay. And at the end of the commercial, it said Amgen.com. So I went to Amgen.com, click careers. And I swear to you, the first job posting was in Boulder, Colorado. And I was like, that's it. I'm, that's like the mountain bike capital of the U.S. There's jobs there for me. And yeah, so I got done with the masters and drove out here. And yeah, you know, got race, the job. Race, I did. I, I didn't get a job at Amgen. Okay. Um, they moved their research uh, facilities out to Thousand Oaks right when I got there. I went to the literally the place and I asked if I could, um, you know, whatever, turn in my resume. And they were like, yeah, all the research is out in California now. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, but, damn, I'm here though. <laughs> I don't, I don't worry. There's the, the thing about Boulder is there's a, at that time, there was a ton of biotech companies out here. So I just went to the next company and got the next biotech job. And, you know, um, they were totally cool with like working odd hours to, to ride as much. And um, yeah, I, in fact, they had this, uh, this thing called a TAC man is a polymerase chain reaction um, automated machine. And they wanted it to run 24 hours. So I volunteered to come in at two in the morning to, cause there was eight hour runtime cycles. Okay. I volunteered at 2 AM to keep this machine running so that I could ride during day, the daytime. That's awesome. They're like, what yeah. a great, the hard worker, this guy's coming in too. You're like, dude, I just want to ride my mountain bike. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. That, that's, I mean, maybe that's a little bit who I am. That's awesome, dude. That's I, you know, I, I definitely didn't know the whole Frank story to Boulder. Uh, that is mm -hmm. great. And that's actually, I started on a mountain bike and then it was really more to ride to the beach. And I remember I first rode 16 miles. I was in Chicago and I rode in a big square and I was like, holy crap, I just rode 16 miles. That was incredible. Mm -hmm. I think that was the first like cycling, like, wow, that's pretty awesome feeling that I had. Um, and it wasn't until my mountain bike got stolen when I moved to upstate New York that I got a road bike. Ah, so, yeah. It was a blessing in disguise. It was, you know, my, my bike got stolen and I told my buddy and he was like, dude, so maybe you want to get a road bike. And I was like, skinny tire bike. I don't want that bike. And he's like, okay, 
you suck off road, but when we go park to park, you're like racing. You you're right. literally doing what people do on a road bike. You should do that instead. And that's kind of <laughs> how I found it. It was I mean, yeah, still horrible off road to this day. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, what's and then so when did you break off and start Fast Cat? Or when did you were you coaching people like a little bit like hey I'm gonna coach a couple people while I'm doing this biotech thing or how did mm-hmm. that whole thing come up? Yeah. So. Um, Biotech is super volatile in terms of like, like the first job I got was at a company and I was like employee number like 22 mm-hmm. and like the founder won the Nobel prize and uh, you know, they had all this money coming in and you know, this technology looks good, but then when you try to, you know, make it work in like animal trials and then if it doesn't work, everyone's like fired. You know, yeah. so I, you know, I got fired a ton of times from various jobs along the way, just when their technology doesn't work out. Mm-hmm. So after a while, you know, I think in 2002, after uh, 9-11 and the dot-com crash, um, the the company that I worked for, I was employee number 13, got a, I like, I got a patent out of it, you know, worked my butt off. They actually sponsored my mountain bike team for two years, the company, so it was awesome. And, um, but yeah, they laid us all off January 3rd, 2002. And, um, I came up, well, I didn't, you know, I couldn't find a job that it was like tough and biotech back then. And I came up with this idea to coach and I was like, well, you know, if I can coach 10 athletes at a hundred dollars a month, I can, you know, couch surf and, and, you know, make ran and train and race full time. And that's what I did. Um, in 2002 and did that on the Norba national circuit. And, um, yeah, you know, during that time I was, you know, I never ever got to the point where I was coaching more than like one or two people. So it wasn't making money, um, or anything like that. And so I had to take a, another job in biotech and I was employee number seven. And by this time, uh, do you remember Pez Cycling News? Yeah, yeah. I met Pez oh. at a training camp with Mike Minerva. He came out there and was writing an article yeah. about the camp. Okay. Yeah, Richard Pestis. Yeah. He yeah, actually yeah, yeah. Hey Richard, if you're uh you're not watching this, <laughs> but he just got hacked on Facebook because I got a message from Richard Pestis Ooh. that was like, Hey, look at this video you're in. And I was like, Pez got Pez got Pez. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, so in 2003, I uh, got in touch with them, with Richard, and, um, and, and said, you know, can I, can I write a training tip for you? And they needed content. So I did. I wrote the, the training tip I wrote was the right way and the wrong way to perform intervals with your SRM. And, yeah. the, um, and the, I, there are two reasons I chose that topic. But number one, um, I wanted to, you know, show that you know, I knew what was up with power-based training because it was brand new and no one knew anything back then. Mm-hmm. And then two, um, also the, there were only like two power meters back then. There was SRM and PowerTap and okay. really PowerTap hadn't kind of developed as a, as a product. So the SRMs were $4,000. <laughs> so I knew if anyone was reading the article and it resonated with them, they had enough money to pay for a coach. Totally. And so that's why I wrote a lot about power-based training under the assumption that, um, okay, people with power meters at that time can also afford coaching. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. And you know, I actually, so I don't know if everybody I've, you know, referenced Jason before and being a fast cat athlete, but since we're on the, this call, um, mm -hmm. I started, you guys were technically my first coach. I, Mike Minerva helped me, but he was like, mm -hmm. once I got to cat three, he was like, uh, you should probably talk to Jason who's on your team now and <laughs> understand. And he had just come out to yeah. Boulder, worked with you, I think for like three or six months and came back. And mm -hmm. Frank, you were the one that gave me, you probably don't remember this, but I came out there to ride for like four or five days. It was, you know, I did the five to one quickly. So I really didn't know what I was getting myself into of like, how, where do you go from there? And, and I think mm -hmm. road was in, road's always in a funny area, but there, it was really like, it seemed like the national races were becoming more and more like crits, uh, crit heavy schedule, which was not my uh, forte. And you looked at me and you were just like, so what's your plan, man? Like you're doing this medical device yeah. thing. And what, like, oh, who, yeah. who are you? And, and I was like, well, I don't know. Like, I got my cat one. I did really well at bat and kill. I don't really know like what the next step is. And you're like, well, if you want to actually do this and you want to get good, you need to be in the car. You need to go hit as many races as you can. And you need to That's not right. be doing just local little stuff like get out of the pond. And I'm not talking mm -hmm. about Rochester. I'm talking about get out of the Northeast, travel yep. to Arizona, da, da, da. And it was like, it was a very light bulb moment for me that made me think and consider where racing sat in my life and made me, you guys actually put it in your athlete questionnaire, which I probably have stolen some of those questions, but the way you guys phrased it was, what's your totem pole of life and where does cycling fit in? And then at that time, I was really gung-ho on trying to build this medical device business and cycling was like neck and neck, but I had a really hard time visualizing myself giving one up for the momentum that I had with that to try and get more momentum going with cycling. And I've thought back to that conversation a lot of like, you know, what would have been different. I don't think it was a right or wrong decision. Um, but I always appreciated your insight as someone with experience and being like, okay, this is where you're at. Here's kind of the trajectory is like, start mapping this out. Like you need to think about it. It's not just going to happen if you don't think about these types of pathways. And that was really valuable. It's been something that I've passed along to other people because it is a, we're in a funny sport in the U S like, mm -hmm. you know, I, and I don't know, we're kind of going on a tangent here, but I think it's good. I think a lot of people too, that want to go to Europe and then they get caught in the crit circuit. It's like, there are guys that are seeing, man, I'm winning big crits. Why am I not going anywhere next? It's like, dude, a lot of big teams don't care about that. Like you need to think mm -hmm. of other ways and how to apply your racing to the racing that the next level's doing. So, right. um, so you're in Boulder. So actually let, let's jump into a couple of the training things. Like the, the first thing, the first bullet point that I had put up and it's kind of relates to you writing that first article for Pez way yeah. back in the day. What are some of the big things that you've seen change in training? And I mean, that is a huge question, but maybe mm -hmm. some highlights and you know, there's, we've now, you mentioned the internet, the internet has blown things up. I mean, I'm sure <laughs> you've read through the forums and your fast cat has, has totally been like, you guys set a really good bar of producing content. And that's a big thing that I've tried to, when I was like, all right, I want to create this business. How am I going to do it? How are people in Oregon going to hear about me? Um, and so like, what have you seen in the just, I mean, there's a million ways to go at that, but I'm just curious what you think when you're like, mm -hmm. man, from Pez till today, <laughs> uh, that is a giant question you know I think um, when I started in 2002 2003 you know no one knew anything about power-based training it wasn't even a thing 
you know, power meters were too expensive and the pros didn't use them. And what, what happened over the, you know, from like Oh three to Oh six, seven and eight is, uh, really the U.S. based coaches were the ones that adopted the uh, technology and the sports science first. And we taught the amateurs and we were the, really the, the leading edge of the sports science and, and the technology. And around 06, 07, some of the world tour teams um, began to pick up it, pick up with, with power-based training. Training Peaks would sponsor, you know, uh, T-Mobile, um, some of the bigger teams like that. You know, Uli with SRM was getting SRMs on, on most of the world tour rider bikes. And then they caught on. And then they were like five years behind us. They were like, yeah, we're doing intervals. I'm like, well, we've been, you know, we've been doing intervals for five years now by power, you know, duh. But um, (laughs) as soon as the pros caught on and then, then it, you really saw power-based training kind of go mainstream, maybe like 2015 with the rise of stages and the, the decrease in price of, of a power meter, because before stages, you know, a cork was still, you know, like it was 1,700 bucks. Yeah. And that's what about a power tap wheel was. But then once stages came along, you know, and put it down to, you know, between four and 600 bucks, then power-based training really went mainstream. And, and then that's when people forgot about the fundamentals to be, to, for, for me, that's what I've seen, you know, a lot of people forget. And that to be, be honest, yeah. It's, it's time in equals performance out and you, you put in more time, you ride more, you, you get faster. Um, so do you but, think that's you, on that point? I like that point though. Do you think that there's too much like shortcutting and like, how do I do everything in six hours a week? Or is that what you see a lot of that? And people probably approach you with that type of question. Like, Hey, I want, you know, my buddy's riding 15 hours a week. How do I do it in seven? I don't know if we get real, you know, I don't think they expect that. What I do think you see is a difference between amateur level training and and professional rider training, or, you know, just people that want to go professional. Mm -hmm. There's a big difference in how you train between say like masters and then, you know, like a world tour guy or someone that has 15 to, to 20 hours a week to train. And so, you know, with and then also with like the rise of indoor training, Zwift, Trainer Road, you know, all that. You know, a lot of people think we get this sometimes is that you, you, you know, you need to like sync the plan to Zwift or, or Trainer Road in order to follow the plan. I'm like, you know, you can do this outside, and th- if you ride outside, you can do more than just an hour. You know, you can ride an hour and a half or two hours or like a thing, you know, or you can do the, you know, when we started talking about doing four and five hour rides on the weekends, you know, I feel like that blew people's minds because they were into these one hour workouts and riding hard, like Sufferfest, which, you know, yeah. doing a hard workout, every single workout. And, you know, for, for, again, forgetting the the fundamentals of base training and, you know, proper periodization and, there's a time and we like to use the expression timing is everything. And there's a time and a place for just about everything that people talk about. Uh, Yeah. I I think 
if I'm rambling. <laughs> no, 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 that's really good. And that's actually when I hear that someone will say, well, I feel like I should stay inside to do these intervals. And I'm like, so this is the, this is the issue is that it's great that inside is so mm -hmm. controlled, but it's so controlled that when you go outside, you are very uncontrolled and you don't know how to actually use the gears to hit the watts. Someone's like, well, I have rollers. I can't do intervals. I'm like, dude, my roads are like this. Shift <laughs> down, go fast. Like, and then, yeah. when, you know, and then you don't have to be hammering when it's a 5% incline. You go a little mm -hmm. bit slower, actually, and you shift into a different gear. And it, you know, I'm not trying to poo-poo or diss on people that do like to do more of the training inside, but when they go to an event and they don't understand why, like, I just couldn't perform. Like, well, dude, look at your file. Like, you look like you were in a criterium and this is like a grand mm -hmm. fondo. Like, you you just have no control of the bicycle. And yeah. so it is very interesting to hear that. Um, and I think indoor has its place, but like you said, just like every zone, every type of training, there's a time and a place for it. You need to get a little bit of everything and try and be well-rounded. And do you think mm -hmm. that coaching someone in that's doing us races or even grand fondos or whatever, you know, I think the best, it's very beneficial for someone to be more well-rounded as opposed to people try to pigeonhole themselves into I'm a sprinter or I'm a climber. Um, maybe because now a lot of people have WKO and they see that little word. Oh, well, WKO told me I'm a sprinter. I'm like, well, <laughs> I mean, yeah. Do you think a little bit of everything in the right way um, helps people address strengths and weaknesses and prepare them for their event? Or what's your kind of thought on that? I think at the amateur level, it really behooves you to be, you know, to be a more well-rounded cyclist as opposed mm -hmm. to try to become a sprinter or a climber. Generally, you know, like you do at the world tour level and, and, in America, in the U.S., the racers that have the most fun are the ones that are usually the most well-rounded. Like, you know, in when I raced road in the NRC races, I didn't win very much at all, but, you know, I could hang in a crit and I could, you know, do a time trial and then, you know, I could, I could climb. And, you know, to, to say like you're a sprinter when you're an amateur level race, you're immediately just saying, you're not going to have any fun at a Fondo or a, a time trial. And, and it, and the same way goes for juniors too, you know, just do it all, be well-rounded and you're going to, your how you, your, your natural ability is going to tell you what you're good at and what you're not good at. And you don't need like a power profile chart or whatever to, to tell you that. And same thing with like collegiate cycling. It's like, just do it all. You yeah, know, and gravitate towards the one that that A is the most fun, and then B is you know what you do the best at. Stuff yeah, like that. no, I like that. What's you mentioned like you know difference between world tour riders specializing and amateurs. You guys have some heavy hitters that come in there. What do you see from the world tour guys that you know? Obviously, an amateur is looking for you for everything. Like, tell me what to do, when to do it, how to do it. What are some ways, what are, what are the pros even like looking for? I remember when I was there, actually, I did that um, bus stop ride with like Greg Henderson. Yeah. Somebody else was there. I was like, dude, this is crazy that I'm in a city with world tour dudes right now. And I mean, they mm -hmm. played super nice with us. Um, what are they yeah. looking for? Is it just like, uh, I, don't, I don't even know what, what they're looking for. What You mean like in coaching? Yeah, in coaching and in mm -hmm. advice and... I mean, you had a, you had the, 
place where you, I think Greg, correct me if I'm wrong, was there doing oxygenated intervals since you're at altitude. He was coming in there yeah. using the oxygen mask so he could actually put out power, but then get the benefits of being at altitude. Yeah, uh, train low, sleep so high. Yeah. Maybe, do they look to you too also probably for some science stuff because clearly you're a super smart dude and they probably don't know any of that. Um, <laughs> what do these guys look for besides just I mean, like, this same thing ride, that, you know? Yeah. I mean, the same thing that, you know, amateur cyclists do. I mean, pro guys are, and gals, you know, they're, they're very serious and they, they're hard workers and, and they appreciate the, the science and specificity and they want to make use of every, you know, leave no stone unturned mm. and, you know, to be, to be their best. And mm. so they want, they want a plan you know, they want to, they want to follow a plan. They want to use the technology, power-based training. They want to know, they want to have someone to talk with. They'll, you know, A, hold them accountable, B, motivate them. And then C, really help them make some high level decisions, like what to do and when, and, you know, what to do if they get sick or, uh, you know, should they try to do this race if their team is asking them and what, you know, how to approach training camps you know, motor pacing was a big thing. Obviously, you you know, the supplemental oxygen, what to do and, and all that. And so in, in one sense, they're very much like just any, any other athlete. They, they, you know, you can be an amateur and want all that. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, you know, they just happen to be physiologically gifted and uh, hella fast. And, you know, maybe they've been doing it at that time. One of the, remember how I mentioned that the pros kind of caught on to power-based training a little bit later? Yeah. You know, when they caught on, they were like really seeking out help in that regards. Just a lot understanding of, the basics. Yeah. Like okay. a lot of them came to us, they had, you know, their team had given them a power meter. They had no idea what to do with it. You know, didn't even know, you know, where to put their data or, you know, what to make of it. A lot of the pros for a, a couple of years, we would make fun of them because they would look at the numbers on their handlebar and never upload their data. That's They'd hilarious. Be, they would just talk about numbers on the ride and never do any <laughs> historical, great. you know, post-ride analysis. And then let alone like put it together in like, what's the data telling you from like three months, six months, you know, the whole year. So, I mean, I think like that was back then in, if that's answering your question. It is. And I think a point that you made that's really great, which is why I still have a coach, is the high-level stuff. And that's what I see a lot of newer athletes getting stuck in. Uh, Jason had always said to me, he's like, dude, you got to zoom out and see the forest besides just banging your head against the tree every day, meaning every workout. And I think mm -hmm. the two things that stuck out to me that you had mentioned of like making those high-level decisions, but also just having somebody there that like, you know, if you fail the third interval, like just having somebody like, Hey, what do you think about that? Like, maybe I was just tired or like, I don't know. I just wasn't hitting it. And that's the one I really want to be crushing. Cause that's the one that I need to like really knock out of the park and just having that other person in your corner. Like it's mm -hmm. anybody can find a plan online and whatever, but it's, I almost think rather than buying a template, there should be a did I execute these? Like a lot of people are like, oh, I've gone out on this endurance ride. I'm like, okay, so FYI, you coasted for half this ride. So just cut the ride <laughs> in half and yeah. actually ride the bike. So yeah. it's, it's interesting. You know, there's a lot of, it kind of ties into this, the, 
internet and indoor and I think a little bit of misinformation out there that uh, you're not always doing what you think might think you're doing on the bicycle. Um, mm -hmm. When athletes, everybody at some point, or I shouldn't say, I should never say everybody, but most athletes at some point hit a plateau. Um, and there's a lot of these guys I've been talking to uh, in these recordings where mindset has come up much more than I expected them to talk about. Um, which has been really good, I think, for all of us, myself, every other amateur watching this type of thing. What do you think is, how important do you look at mindset in helping people have a positive mindset towards their training and racing? And then when people hit a, like a funk, uh, I got a guy right now who's just like, dude, what's my legs? Like what happened? And he's just in a crappy week, but you know, how do you help people get past that um, besides just telling them maybe, dude, it's a crappy week or you, you're just not hit, like you're in a funk a little bit. What are some, how do you approach mindset with athletes? Yeah, I mean, first I observe, observe their mindset through their daily practice of following the plan, executing their intervals. You know, we're big, I'm big into communication. So uh, get to know, what they're saying about their workouts and are they a positive person? Are they a negative person? Do they, do they wear their last workout on their shoulder day to day or, you know, kind of, you know, a lot of sports psychology, things like that. That's a really um, good thing that I haven't thought about that way. Wearing the workout on your shoulder. Like, I mean, it's the same way with racing. It's like, you know, people are like, I, you know, I crushed that race and they have a great week or man, that race sucked. And then they have a bad week. Yeah. I'm awful. I'm horrible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, um, you know, with training and, and being a coach and, and monitoring their training, you have the opportunity to really monitor their, their mindset. So, you know, when you put in the long day, you know, what do they say about it? Do they, do they make excuses? Do they just do it and it's done and, you know, they move on to the next workout, you know, like and to, to talk about pros and, and amateurs, you know, I've got, I've had experience working with plenty of pros that just had a cat four mindset. And mm -hmm. I've worked with plenty of cat fours that had a champion's mindset. And yeah. So, you know, but they just happen to be, you know, a cat four and they, you know, new to the sport and not, physiologically is gifted but dude they were hardcore when it came to training and following the plan and getting it done and you know that's what we joke about we call it ftfp and um you, you can get a, a feeling for for their mindset because you know when you do vo2s you know w you know how does that person react to that workout emotionally you know mm -hmm. do they go in there with fire in their belly and suffer and slobber and, and bite the stem and then say, here you go, coach. Or do they not complete it and, you know, list an excuse? Because what you're doing with VO2 max intervals or any difficult workout is you're just preparing them um, for difficult moments in, in racing and, or, you know, in just being, trying to be a bike racer in general. And so how they handle that is a glimpse into their mindset of, you know, you know, how they're going to react to that crux moment of a race where it's do or die. And, you know, you can dig in and try to, you know, make it happen or, you know, for some other reason, maybe give up or not try or, 
not be aggressive or, uh, you know, just kind of back out. I think it's, man, those are really good points that I think people can think about and apply to their own mindset and thinking. And it is tough when you have somebody that is negative or doesn't like a challenge and only want, they rather have the layup than trying to go for the slam dunk. Uh, the dunk is much harder, but damn, if you dunk it, it sure feels better than laying it in. <laughs> and, um, I remember, I don't remember if I was talking to Jason or, but back in the day and it was, just having the mindset that I have before I get to this race, like a big race, I have to convince myself that I have a shot to win, that I have a shot to, to race, to do something that I'm not just going to get dropped because when it does, when you're saying like when it, when you, when stuff hits the fan and it's do or die, if you have already convinced yourself that everyone else is faster, you stand 0% chance of sticking with them. They're just going to ride away. Or, but if you are like, I can do this, like, you just go into another zone and it's like you give everything that you possibly have. And if you get dropped, mm-hmm. you get dropped, but at least you went there and you gave everything rather than gave some excuse and, you know, didn't believe in yourself. And is there any, what's a good way? And I, you know, this is one thing. It definitely depends on the person. Some people are more open to trying to change their mindset and trying to simply just being more positive about their training and maybe detaching from bad workouts are there any tips that you could give somebody that if they are more of a negative mindset that they could use day to day? One thing I tell people, I'm like, listen, don't overthink this workout. It's like, it's just a bike ride. So like before they go, just to try and calm them down, maybe is there anything like you've coached so many people that like, you have to have a bunch of people that you can think of where it's just like after the workout, they're negative. What are some things that you would try to help them change that if it's even yeah no i mean very tough to do it what you can do one i like of, along with many things is you can design workouts and set the athlete up for success mm-hmm. and get them to crush a workout mm-hmm. and see see the the positive benefits of crushing a workout and doing well and then you know like the way i design training is i want to set them up for success i'm not going to give them a workout where there's a high probability that they're going to fail because they're tired and they just, it's not in their head, it's in their legs. So I I try to, when I, when we're talking about training plan design, I try to stay away from that, really set them up for success and then build upon that, you know, get them to another part in the other, in the training plan design and give them a little bit bigger workout and then Mm -hmm. a little bit bigger workout. And then, you know, if that goes well, get them so confident or get them some confidence that you put them on the start line with a lot of confidence and they're brimming over with that confidence because what they've done in their, their training and, or send them to an easy race or, mm-hmm. you know, you know, we call those Bayou races down in the South, like, you know, where the field size is 10 and, <laughs> you know, they're just beating up on, you know, the local competition. So that's one way, but the other way, you know, if they are negative, um, uh, maybe, you know, get them not to focus on, it's like, you know, the, the workout or something. You can just be like, all right, let's keep moving forward, keep moving forward and talk about the successes and, you know, the things that they're doing right. There's always going to be something wrong going on with your like training and, uh, you know, maybe you don't feel that good or the weather's crappy or you had a flat tire and, you know, in the, in the middle of the second set of the workout and, 
stuff like that. But it, 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 you know, it's kind of like what you're saying, you know, just keep that big picture in, in mind. Um, yeah. I, that's good. Especially for people making their own plans, like get yourself some W's before you go into shoot, like try and bite this big chomp. And mm-hmm. Stephen Bassett actually made that comment. He's like, you know, we have this idea that, uh when you win this big race it's like all the planets align and everything went perfectly he's like no he's like you just had 25 percent of the race go wrong and the other guy had 30 percent. like it's never <laughs> perfect it's yeah. just like you had the best of the luck but never perfection um, that's right yeah that, that is good because it is it is i like that idea of helping somebody stack wins if they are especially and if they're getting in a funk it's like sometimes try like okay let's figure out how we can rebuild you back up here um because there is so much mental side to this sport what's with all the stuff out there you're putting stuff out there i'm putting stuff out there wko webinars johnny's telling you something chris is doing something with all the information out there how can somebody boil down where to start (laughs) besides going back to the basic that you already said just ride your bike like go out fundamentals put put in the fundamental what that what what would you say are three two or three fundamentals to training you know i was in a like a usa uh, coaches conference seminar years ago and sam callen the director of coaching education said you know any athlete that follows any plan is going to get faster And so I think the biggest thing for any athlete, you know, disseminating all the information is get on a plan Mm -hmm. and put your heart and soul into it to to get faster. And within that plan, hopefully the the fundamentals will be there, which is a number one, if you want to get faster, determine how much you've been riding and, and increase that overall training load. Like if, you know, I love the things at the end of the year with Strava, it's like you rode 800 hours and climbed 800,000 feet. And it's like, okay, you want to be better next year? Well, let's increase that by 15 or 20% and then figure out whatever that is and design your, your training on that. Did you do, you know, and the other thing that this isn't a, a fundamental, but it's like, you want to keep doing intervals and develop that power. You can, you know, develop your power over years, five years, 10 years, you know, and in same way with endurance, you can, you, you know, that's when the, the old timers talk about, you know, they got a lot of miles in their legs, things like that. So keep, you know, keep chipping away at that. But it, the, the, I would say ride more than you have been train with a power meter because I mean, it's just next level to heart rate based training, you know, yeah. use your data uh, by and anyone these days, you know, like in 0405, you know, we didn't exactly know what was up with the power data. And I remember when we released the performance manager chart, I was, I told everyone, I was like, no one's going to get it. They're going to misuse this and it's, it's going to be misunderstood and everyone's going to either be like that or like WTF. And, you know, like 10 years later and maybe even more like 12, 13, 14 years later, it's become more mainstream and people kind of know how to use it. So use the science use the the softwares, packages, things like that. But at the same time, there's like, you know, like what you're alluding to is like, you can't forget the the fundamentals, ride more. You know, mm-hmm. the other thing I would say about power-based training is just like, figure out your threshold and track it. Um, you don't need to test 
more than like two or three times a year. Use your race data to mm -hmm. complement that, that testing. That's generally when you're going to make your, but we always say race data is the best data. Mm -hmm. You know, when you got a number on your back and you're shoulder to shoulder, or when you're about to win or about to get dropped and you dig that extra bit deeper, that's when you make your best data. And it's, that's the stuff you really want to, you know, earmark and look at, you know, from, from like whatever season to season. Mm -hmm. um, I guess like Rod Moore, turn of the power threshold. No, I, there's so, yeah. so, I was like, yeah, as, yeah. as I asked you that question, I'm like, God, that's a tough question. I don't even know what yeah. I would say for two things because yeah. I was having a conversation with the guy about just work kilojoules. And we started working mm -hmm. together. Uh, I want to say 2017 and I just showed him year by year KJs and then mm -hmm. I showed him uh, he's not a super big guy so I can't remember the exact numbers but the number of 2000 KJ rides they did per season and it's mm -hmm. like this year because of the pandemic he like doubled them he just had more time to ride but I was like yeah. Look at this progression even from he had a power meter in like 2015 and it was just like so I think he had none the first year and then I'm like, dude, look at how this is one big reason why you're getting faster. It's not just the day-to-day -day intervals. It's your year over year. You're clearly still in love riding. And that's a huge reason why you're getting faster. It's yep. macro, big picture. Again, we're saying like step back and look at the forest. Um, mm -hmm. And I talked to another guy who wants to do sub nine at Leadville. And he's just doing more work. And he's fine. Yep. He's got a gravel bike now. So that's kind of he's a doctor. So he's busy and da, da, da. I'm like, dude, just stay on the path that you're on. Like, this is why you're making those gains. And he's a patient athlete. You know, he's chipping mm -hmm. away at he wants to hit 300 for 20 minutes and he's getting close and close. And I think that's one thing that if people can have that delayed excitement and like cycling is a slow burn. Um, there's another guy, another coach, I'm not going to drop his name now, but cause I'm going to, post him probably after you or before you i don't want people to hear his name to ruin the surprise but he's um <laughs> he had said you know people don't understand like you're getting into a sport where in a year <laughs> you might not get better like in a year like this is really look at your career as five years ten years da, da, da. and mm -hmm. you know it's really tough to squeeze out those percentage gains it takes a lot it's it's really more of a lifestyle um, yeah you gotta to to your point it's like you know, you've been doing cycling since, you know, when you came to us, that was what, 2006 or seven or eight? No, it was, it was 09. 09, mm -hmm. still a long time ago. And you've been, you know, riding a lot every year since then. And so a lot of times people will point out to me, oh, you know, I want to be like him. And he won master's nationals this year. And I'm like, okay, I want to take you back to 10 years ago where he was and show you the progression and all the, the hard work you did. And so you have to be patient. Maybe that's one of the other fundamentals is, you know, patience put, you know, hard work. And, and, and if you don't succeed, you know, keep, keep trying because generally, you know, you, if you, you go to a race and I, when people say, I want to win this race, I'm like, well, what's your results? And they're like, well, I haven't done it yet. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, okay. All right. Well, let, let's set a three-year plan. Let's have you finish this race next year let's do a top 20 or top 10 based on the previous year's results yeah and then the third year let's look at maybe getting up on the podium and then maybe it takes another year you know to to 
go to the top step. So that's four years right there. Like when we worked with the, the national team athletes, first year for everyone, no matter how good they were, was to just finish the races, get that experience. Second year was like maybe ride a breakaway or get a results. Third year was, you know, maybe just get a result, but not in every single race. I mean, it takes, you know, USAC and U23 program, it's a seven year progression from the time you're 18 to they give you seven years. This is the old way of doing it. They don't, you know, it doesn't work that way anymore, but take the best of the best at 18 years old. They want you to move on to a world tour team by the time you're 25. That's okay. seven years. That's and they're, crazy. you know, training their butts off, but that's, that's how long it takes. And I think if amateurs, you know, just can have fun along the way and work hard and, you know, enjoy the the process. Generally cycling is, you know, it's so awesome because what you put into it is what you get out of it. And um, so there's no, there's no magic bullets. There's no quick fixes. A lot of people like go big for one season and then it yeah. doesn't quite work out. And then they quit or they get bummed out and it's like, nah, you know, just keep going and take a break for two weeks at least, but keep going and keep going. You got to build upon that. I love that, man. And I think it's, I had an athlete that uh, we were talking about land run and he's a cat four. I think he's like, all right, dude, I want a top 20. I was like, cool. That's mm. a freaking stellar, huge reach goal. I want a top 20. He's like, you want a top what? And I was like, <laughs> dude, do you know who goes to that race? Like, yeah, yeah, top 20. I'm I'm okay. Like, I'm racing to <laughs> do better than that. But if I'm top 20, like, okay, the race went pretty well. And somebody else, uh, this girl had said, Well, you know, I look on Strava and I see you and Tanner Ward doing 20 hour weeks. I want to do 20 hour weeks. I said, Tanner's been riding a bike a really long time. And and yeah, I just want to play tell you, like, I'm I'm not insulted, but go look on Strava at how many miles you've ridden, how many I've ridden. She and she goes, holy crap, you've ridden 120,000 miles. How many have you ridden? She goes, 15. I was like, so <laughs> if we start putting together 20 hour weeks, yeah. you're going to hurt yourself. You're going to not yeah. absorb the trip. Like, you know, and I almost yeah. want to put a blog out of, of what I did in 2009. Like Jason never would let me do a 20 hour week. I didn't, I wasn't even asking for one. I didn't know what that meant, but it was like, you know, that was the bit one amazing tip that he gave me was we did long endurance rides when I could handle on the weekend, learn to do back-to-back -back rides. And it was mm -hmm. Sunday, the watts were way lower than Saturday. And I was oh, yeah. like, how do guys do this? And Jason's like, dude, yeah. keep doing it. Keep doing yeah. it. Keep doing yeah. it. And then we're not looking at next, we're not looking six months down the road, man. We're looking four years down the road. And it was, mm -hmm. it really opened my eyes. And I think if there was an outtake, if I did outtakes, that would be it of just, how long this takes for you to get as good as you can become. Um, Patrick, the guy I coach with always talks, he's like, man, those people that go for like a year, they burn so hot. He's like, I don't, that's not, what is mm -hmm. that? And I'm like, I don't know. It's not either of us. Cause we're more like lifelong cyclists. I think people just maybe see the sport and like, well, I want to do that. Mm -hmm. And then they realize like, oh damn, this actually takes a lot of time and work. Mm -hmm. um, you gotta be a lifer, you know, like, that's what I call it. Like, you got to be a lifer, just be in it. You see this a lot in the multi-sport world where um, they're like, okay, I'm going to do an Ironman. And then they run super hot and, and then they get done with the Ironman and they're like, all right, I'm going to go do something else in my life. And, uh, the, you know, they like quit their coaching and it's like, wow, we just worked 
every day together and we built up this great relationship and um and now you're quitting you can't do that <laughs> but like cyclists don't do that they're you know the ones that get far in the sport are the lifers you know that really just like you know keep moving forward keep keep going yeah that's it we I've, i gotta look back of where this came out from because a guy that i coach he keeps talking about it um and i guess i said somewhere i'm like cycling like it's a lifestyle figure it out just like if you're working a nine to five okay can you ride at 5 a.m figure it out like you just gotta find the time make the time is it a, and if it's not a priority then it's not a priority but don't expect to compete against people who love this and mm-hmm. are lifers and live it mm-hmm. um couple more for you and then I'll let you go. This has been awesome, man. What do you think is uh, some mistakes that you see? So, you know, I, always t- I, I really like people to try to upgrade as fast as possible into, you know, do some races, get a W, move on. Don't stay at cat four because you want to win this race in four months in your hometown. Like get to cat mm-hmm. three. More people are at the same level. As people get to like three, two, one, um, a lot of people are dedicated. What do you see some mistakes that people are making or maybe said differently? Like what are some other things we've talked a lot of things that little things that people can improve on, maybe some optimizations that people can do in their training. Does anything stand out to you right away when I ask that any like big picture things you see a lot of higher level amateurs doing that is just like, dude, change this little thing and it'll have a bigger effect for you. Um, yeah, that could be so many things. It just depends on the the situation. Um, a lot of trouble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like you need maybe need to get more tactical experience from races. Get more experience. You know, race more and just. Be, you know, that's why the track is so good. You can go do six races in a night, and you get six different tactical, you know, moments that you're going to learn from. And that would take six weeks if you did one crit a week. Things like that. You know, race. Good. race as much as you can do you know like a dairy land or you know a, like a you know the like you know the four-day yeah. crit series is things like that Tulsa yeah. Tufts and this that so a lot of times people are can get and this is happens a lot these days is guys will get and gals can get hella strong from training and then they go to the race and maybe they're not even that good at drafting or mm-hmm. conserving energy or you know, making the right decisions at the right time. So that you need, you you know, you need some race experience to do that. And that generally, if you're, the more you race, that'll come pretty quickly. So it's not like a, it's unobtainable. That's a really good answer though, because there's so many people that indoor, they're like, well, my FTP has skyrocketed 50 watts. I'm going to crush. Yeah. "Mm." (laughs) Yeah. I think I'm saying everything. In yeah. every podcast, Justin Williams was on one. He's like, okay, wait, just so we're clear, half of this is Watson, half of this is th- is this thing called bike racing. <laughs> yeah. And so yeah, it yeah. is, uh, yeah, it's not an FTP contest, unfortunately. But um, th- those are good. And I'm yeah. not trying to cut you off. Do you have any other ones that pop in your head? Yeah, sure. I mean, nutrition could, could be one. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, if you're, and then also just choosing which races you choose to go for. It's like, you know, if you weigh, 170 your big boy big gal whatever you know look at flatter rolly races don't choose a tour of gila you know that the 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 athletes that are 135 140 you know they're gonna they have the power to weight advantage mm-hmm. um but on the other hand if you're you know 
if you're 150 and this gets into a, you know, a whole, whole thing, it's like, look at your diet, you know, uh, you know, are you fueling your workouts? You see this a lot uh, these days, the prevalence of people just trying to lose weight and not eating. And, you know, you can, you, you can still fuel your workouts and obtain an uh, optimal body composition um, with proper nutrition, you know, and you, and the other thing is the older you get, the less you can get away with. And mm-hmm. when you're 25 and 30, you, you know, your metabolism wins and keeps you nice and, and lean and everything. But when you get up to be like 35 and 40, you really got to to watch it. When you're older, it's even worse, like like the way I am. I hate it. <laughs> so how old are you now? Uh, I'm like 29. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, no, I'm turning 50 this year. So, hell yeah, um, dude. Are yeah, you gonna yeah, yeah. do some? Uh, do you do any masters races? Would you do like come and bash at like Masters Roads or something? Uh, I, I'm not that into that any in Masters Road. I mean, mm. I'll do. I still race gravel, so um, okay. and so. Uh, the reason why I like gravel is because they're everything that you like in a road race, and none of the stuff you don't. So. <laughs> You know, when I was coming along, you know, give me a hundred mile road race with some elevation and some difficulty. And that was my jam. And those just don't exist anymore. And that's what gravel races are. They're, they're road tactics. You got to be hard as nails, they're endurance. There's some hard moments. Generally the roadies will outwit the, the, the non roadies that don't have that tactical experience. Once in a while, you'll get a mountain biker that is just gravel world, super strong. Gravel See, world. the ultra distance doesn't um, attract me because it's not racing. You're, it's just finishing. And oh, it's not, I, I like, mean, one fifty. You consider that ultra? Uh, it, at my age, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Fair <laughs> because, enough. Yeah, Fair you know, enough. I mean, when you do a, a an eighty or a hundred mile race, you're actually gonna finish with people. When you do a hundred fifty mile race, you're probably gonna be by yourself for the last ninety minutes. That's that's what I mean by yeah. finishing. So, yeah. but maybe not at your level because you're still like in it and in, in all that. Still trying to be in it, man. It's getting, yeah. that was yeah. my comment of like, it was really funny. I was saying to my husband, Chris, I was like, damn dude, like I got a little, maybe, maybe ate a little bit too much at like Thanksgiving or Christmas or whatever. And then I was like, this thing took a little bit longer to go away this year. And I don't know if it was different than last year. I mean, I'm 39, but it seemed like, the difference in being like, oop, gotta lose a pound or two is much more of a factor two years later. And I remember saying that at 37, like, damn, this is harder than it was at 35. And so it's definitely something that is, uh, it's really, I was thinking about that of, okay, when am I racing? How light do I really have to be? And um, it's a, it's always an interesting topic to talk to athletes about because the initial impression Mm -hmm. is as skinny as possible. I'm like, hmm. Not necessarily. Like, make depends sure, on the race. Depends yeah, depends on the race. Make sure you're still putting on yeah. watts because I'll mm-hmm. use your race around 182. I've been 177. I've had a couple good races. I've had a couple races where I was just like, I don't feel like myself. I don't, and I felt like I was losing some overdrive. It was just, it was a weird feeling. But maybe that's what really light feels like. I don't know. But it, it, again, I mean, like I've raced at 148 pounds and I did really well with the climbing races but not so good on the flat ones. And then the, you know, a couple years later and like having kids, you raced at 155 and, you know, I'm not doing as good at the climbing races, but you know, you're off the front on the flat stuff and you're, 
time trialing better and things yeah, like that's that. It's just more muscle. Well, it's crazy because then I even have to have like a buddy like Patrick who's like, dude, why do you try to be five pounds lighter? You're not winning any climbing race to begin with. And you always mm-hmm. are trying to time trial at the front. Like, dude, just go put out big watts for four hours. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, maybe I should do that instead. Maybe, yeah. maybe I will eat this extra bagel. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Do you have any, uh, I think I hit everything that I was curious about, man. This was awesome. A lot of good, I, the more of these people that I talk to is really making me see and re-examine myself, like how strong is my mind game and how much am I thinking of all the other things besides Watts? Cause a lot of the stuff of these, these points that we brought up, like of how to train, but a lot of it was not Watt based. Um, any other, anything else you want to bring up or parting words for the people as we approach an hour here? Uh, you know, one thing or two things that we didn't talk about is uh, recovery. Mm, and you know, yeah i mean and it's re- usually not a thing until you get to be about you know 40 plus and um you know i presume you know, when i was less than 40 recovery was never an issue you know when i'm 30 you know i could go do two two hour mountain bike races full gas back to back each weekend really the second race on the second day was no worse than the first. Mm-hmm. Um, same way with cyclocross or it, like doing a stage race. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, obviously it changes. Um, these days there's so much out there in terms of like information and tools you can use, you know, to recover and, you know, massage and, you know, ways to, you know, if you can't do a massage, it's like, well, you know, you can do this or you can do that. And, the, you know, the other thing to that is like, just get eight hours of sleep, start mm-hmm. there. And if you're not getting eight hours of sleep and you're, you know, worrying about your whoop score, you know, start with eight hours and, you know, or try to get nine. I mean, if you're younger and you can get more, you know, they say the world tour athletes are professional sleepers. They can sleep 10, 11 hours a night, maybe. And then that on top of a nap. So that's kind of like the the next level uh, for, you know, to, to, if you've already been, if you're already topping out at 20, 25 hours, you know, look at, look at your recovery and, and see if that doesn't help. And it's not an overnight thing. It's something the consistent practice, like at least a half year. And that's um, where you get in terms you of like the, getting into a rhythm of getting more sleep and like sleep hygiene, things like that. When you say a half a year. Well, to, to reap the benefit, it's not uh, like, you okay. know, if you get 10 hours of sleep, it's not like you're magically you know, <laughs> better Frank, I slept 10 hours, but I'm not any faster. What the, that was a horrible tip. Yeah. <laughs> Sleep like 10 hours and do your recovery modalities for six months. That's A, you're going to be able to train more. And you'll also be able to uh, physiologically adapt from that training day to day, which cumulatively adds up to more over mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. And then see that. That's what I meant. Like, by, by Yeah, that. got it. No, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. What was the other topic that you were thinking of besides recovery? Um, you know, you were talking about mindset and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, mindset, you know, there's an expression, you want to practice how you want to play. So Mm -hmm. bring the intensity to your interval training sessions. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's going to tell you how you're going to play. Do you give up? Do you push through? So forth. The other thing that'll really help, you know, with your mindset, you know, is you're going to have to put some work into it. So train, train your brain, you know, it's a big it's not a muscle, but, you know, exercise your muscle. And 
the, the two biggest ways that I've seen that helps athletes is develop a uh, meditation practice and, and or yoga. Yoga is kind of like moving meditation, mm -hmm. but meditation is kind of next level for that, that next level edge with, with mindset. So it doesn't take much. Um, there's a bazillion things out there. You can start with like, um, there's like apps on your phone that mm -hmm. like waking up is a really good one. Um, the other one is escaping me. Headspace. Headspace is great, but do a yoga practice. I mean, that's breathing. You know, if you can, you know, do like a one, sorry, go ahead. I mean, if you can do like a one hour pose, not a one hour pose, a one hour class. And I was like, this, damn. No, no, no. <laughs> if you're in this like deep pose, you're 50 minutes into the class and it starts to burn and you're thinking about not holding your pose, if you can get to the point where you just breathe and, and hold it, guess mm -hmm. what you can do when you're doing VO2 max intervals? Mm -hmm. You're relaxed, release the death clinch on your handlebar, take a deep breath, just kind of get be in that, that moment. And then, then you can do that in a bike race when you're suffering and, you know, yes. and, and try to, that's kind of, that's the thing, the ways that I've seen meditation help. Have you done any specific respiratory training or breathing? Have you looked into this at all? And this is going to sound like a shame, uh, shameless plug, but I work with this company. So Aerofit, it's, mm -hmm. I saw this device on Facebook and I was like, dude, this thing looks interesting. So I messaged these guys and they're like, yeah, we'll send you one. You want to try it out? And I'm like, well, I'd like to try it out. I have this blog. I'm going to write a review on it. <laughs> if it's good, I'm not going to poop on your product. Yeah. Dude, so they're like, well, yeah, you got to train with it. And it was before I did tour of Southland in New Zealand. So last November. So I got this thing at the end of September and they on the website, they have like a rower, a speed skater. Anyways, within five weeks, I was getting ready for the stage race and my breathing during VO2 max was definitely uh, much more calm and like controlled. And I'm like, this is interesting. I'm gonna go do like 20 minute FTP effort. And I didn't even feel like I was working hard. And it was, I was like, this is insane. And so it's, a lot of it is not only learning the technique of breathing, which sounds stupid, but a lot of athletes, they freak out when they're doing these hard efforts. And it really almost helps you. Like, you know, when you, you go to your first one, two, three race, it's like your head is on a swivel and there's like attack and you, it's like this, well, this isn't a cat four race anymore. And then the race eventually <laughs> slows down this device has really helped me like slow down my own body in my own movements. And so I've tried to look into, they're very into like, it comes from like Temo breathing and like the stuff that Wim Hof does. You maybe have heard of that guy. And um, yeah. I really, I haven't done much more beyond using the exercises that they have, but it, when you bring this up in meditation, it's like one more thing to add to my to-do list, I guess, of getting more into meditating because it's not something that i practice but everybody i think that meditates is like it's the best thing in my life um <laughs> so <laughs> yeah i mean it, it yeah it's it, it, you know how like we're inundated with screens all day mm -hmm. and it's just information information you're thinking and thinking basically meditation is a recovery interval for your brain mm -hmm. and it, you don't you know what if you get good at it you know you can sit for 10 minutes and just breathe. You're not thinking about mm -hmm. the, your training, your intervals, your mortgage, your any other stress in your life. And it, it, that's, I think what a lot of people report back, but yoga class does that for me. 
Um, and cause I have trouble sitting still and because yoga is like Phil jokes. It's like Simon says for adults, but you know, <laughs> it helps you get into it and get out of everything else in life. And, yeah. uh, kind of, it's like a one hour recovery. Break. I like it. Mine is, uh, I swipe down for the do not disturb and go on my bike ride. And it's, that was, yeah. that's one of the best changes of having left medical device world is when I was worried about the hospital or a surgeon calling me, I had the ghost ring. Like I'd be like, Oh my God, I think someone's calling me. And I'd pull my phone out and like, no one called me like, God damn it. and it was <laughs> yeah. horrible. So now to be able to do that, I'm like, damn, I should have done this years ago, but yeah, mm -hmm. live and learn. So hey, yeah. man, this is awesome. Frank It's really good to catch up. I was looking forward to hopefully seeing you. Uh, well, actually it was gonna be in London this year. So I don't know, but it was great to see you at the training peaks meeting and hopefully, Oh yeah. Hopefully yeah, COVID yeah. goes away and we get to catch up at the next one. And would you have gone so. to London? Uh, you know, that's a big trip, but I, big you know, trip. I have to travel. That would have been pretty would cool. Have been, yeah, it, yeah. Been my it depends on the speakers. You know, when I, mm. the, for those conferences, I always look at who's speaking and, you know, you know, does like, is it something awesome or is it something or some that doesn't really, mm -hmm. that I think I'll, I'll benefit from. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of good conferences out there uh in, in europe that that is but uh yeah maybe i did you attend the the virtual one this past i fall? missed it and i'm honestly i'm like zoomed out and i'm just trying to do a lot yeah. of these type of things and i was like ooh. yeah but i didn't did you um i like had it going in the background um there were some I really yeah. wanted to hear. And then they're mm -hmm. like, and we're, and I'm like, Ooh, they're taping them. I'll watch the tape things. They're like, they're up for a week. I'm like, I'm going to do it. And then I was like, shoot, the week passed. I know. Yeah. Just, That's why I like conferences. Cause you get off your screen and exactly. look at Yeah. And plus you get to talk with other coaches and everything. I really, that's what I love and meeting other people and just seeing what people are doing. And, you know, I think mm -hmm. that's, uh, that's one reason why I wanted to have you on this. It's like, you're going to think of things differently than I will. And it's always, uh, you know, I think everybody thinks every coach has to be like, when I post that thing about sweet spot, some people were like, Oh, are you talking about trainer road? Go get them. And I was like, no, nah, man. Like I, I talked to those guys. It We're cool. Like we do some things differently, but we don't not like each other. <laughs> so yeah. it's funny, but yeah. Hey, man. Everyone wants to be, uh, pc mac or ford chevy and <laughs> yeah. yeah we're not like trying to be that way yeah <laughs> well i appreciate you sharing all these insights this is definitely beneficial for a lot of people and hopefully we cross paths not only in a meeting but on a well you're not so you well, gravel bike we can do a gravel ride together and uh you know hopefully yeah. we pa pass uh each other to race that'd be fun so you should come out to steamboat gravel or um i would die yeah, no, you, would. Go, you would. That that race doesn't have that much climbing, so um, you no could crazy do. Descents? You could, oh, okay. No, no I was no, picture, you're fine. So I did Oregon Trail. <laughs> that's a that's a that's a whole different type of gravel holy race. Holy yeah. cow! So the, like yeah. the giant. I mean, the guys that I'm out with are mountain bikers and gravel riders mm -hmm. on DNA. And the uh, giant factory like uh, Tristan Ewell and uh, Barry, I want to say Sanders is not that. Barry Wicks. Barry Wicks. Yes. So I am going yes. down something and it's like, I might go over this freaking, like, at, yeah. I, got dropped, like the, I got dropped on the climbs. 
But even if I could see those guys, I'd be like, I'm going to catch them. And I was like, oh, they're, they're actually going much faster on the downhills than I could even consider. <laughs> and so yeah. I had a bike that only could have a, because of the clearance and is horrible. It had a 35 on the back and a 34 up front, I think it was. And so I saw Barry Wicks afterwards and he was like, did you ride that bike this whole week? And I was like, yes. He's like, with those tires, he's like, yes. He's like, that scares me. And I'm like, dude, I'm really glad you said that because I felt like the biggest <laughs> baby, but I was very scared on some of these descents. And I mean, descending is not my thing. I'm just not good at it. And uh, yeah, that was gnarly. So when I saw the steamboat thing, I was like, I'm going to stick here in Iowa where I just do some turns. <laughs> in Colorado, we have what's called the Gucci gravel and it's very benign. I raced steamboat gravel with 32 millimeter tires on my road bike. It's a okay. road bike course. There's nothing, nothing technical about it. It's very beginner friendly. That's why it's so good for the getting new people oh, into the sport. Damn. But you know, like an Oregon trail race, you need like 40, 40 millimeter tires or a mountain bike. Those Dude, are they had gnarly. Those yeah. guys, and kudos to them, I guess. Um, who's the, the leader of the team, the older guy with the mustache. Um, anyways, Carl Decker. Carl Decker took yeah. his motorcycle and reconned everything. And I don't even yeah. know. These guys are like, they got 2.1 tires. I'm like, what the hell is a 2.1? They're like, it's really big. And he cut off all the knobs. So they were just ripping some of these courses. And I was like, all right, I'm here to have fun this week. I was really trying to get a top 10 overall. And granted, it was, there were, I don't know how many people were in this, gra in, uh, this gravel race, but it was really only probably like, 15 people really racing mm -hmm. Dude, i think i got 11th but yeah those guys man they go fast uphill and i was like holding on and it was it was super fun though the climbs were fun we had one horrible weather day but other than that it was cool but a lot yeah. of not my thing so, right yeah. you gotta have some mountain biker or cyclocross routes in yet but gravel to me at least the ones that i do is it's like a road race with just a it's just like a race of attrition, that sort of thing. Yeah, I'm into that. Yeah, you be good at it. All right. Well, <laughs> I'm going to take that. You know much more than people that were telling me I'd be good at cross. And that's when I realized a lot of people didn't know about like performance and sizing. People are like, you're going to be amazing at cross. You have a lot of power. And I was like, I'm, wait, you have to get off and jump and bike camp. I'm like, I suck at this. What are you we, we have a weekend. We have a weekend skills camp. We'll teach you everything you need to know. <laughs> yeah. Because, hey, everything can be done in a weekend. That's, That's right. the takeaway. That's what, one yeah. weekend and one 10-hour sleep session, and you will be we'll, a pro. We'll, we'll tell you – we'll show you how to do it right, and then we'll say, now I'm going to do 10,000 reps. And you can do that on your own time. There you go. Hey, man, <laughs> this is a great end note, and I appreciate your time and look forward you to bet. seeing you in real life. Yeah. Thanks a lot for having me, Brendan. Yeah, Frank. Take care. Take care, man. See ya. Bye-bye.